0: Jesus said, a read. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> okay. A reading from John. Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep." I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen was a brilliant and dynamic graduate student studying neuroscience who participated in the campus ministry at the University of Texas while I served as chaplain. She grew up in the Episcopal Church and took naturally to our Sunday evening worship services and dinner. Over time, I got to hear parts of her story, though her interest in becoming more integrated into the community focused mostly on sharing her culinary skills with undergrads. She was reluctant to share more about her faith and her spiritual needs. Years later, she reached a breaking point and shared with me the heart of her spiritual crisis. How could she be an accomplished and respected scientist and a Christian? From everything she could tell, the two were necessarily in conflict. Every time she came to church for years prior to our discussion— She felt the need not to share with her lab mates or peers where she was going. She had witnessed their rejection of others and feared losing credibility for her academic work. She didn't have a comfortable grasp on sharing her own experience and was certain that her perspective would be disregarded as immature Together, we read through works from scientists and theologians, and in particular authors, who insisted that the two disciplines are necessarily in conversation. We talked about the tenure of our first female presiding bishop, who was a biologist prior to being ordained. Slowly, over time, she found the words to tell her story through the lens of her discipline. She was never on a mission to convert her lab mates or fellow scientists, but taking ownership over her faith and wrestling with God opened up possibilities she had never imagined. She became the unofficial mentor to countless undergrads who were wrestling with the exact same struggles. The experience of her rejection became the source of the strength of her faith. Rejection is not something most of us like to talk about. It brings up deeply painful memories. It elicits feelings of unworthiness, shame, or embarrassment. All of us have some story of not being picked for a game on the playground in elementary school, not making a team in high school, or worse, perhaps feeling like we did not belong to our very own families. Yet, rejection is something we practice on a daily basis at the grocery store. We pass over the produce that seems past peak. There are countless popular shows that are all about being chosen as the star baker or most, most talented singer. And millions of people relish tuning in. Rejection is something we participate in all the time. If you can handle it, stay with the feeling that bubbled to the surface when I mentioned rejection. Oftentimes, these experiences of rejection represent a low moment in our lives, a feeling that the world would be better off without us around. We struggle to regain our footing and claim our worthiness. Ultimately, we either accept the rejection and experience the world as one who was not given access to all that was possible, or we become defiant in the face of rejection and push back harder than ever Against that which would contain us. Jesus upends the paradigm of rejection. Rejection is the foundation upon which the church was intentionally built. It is not simply an optional alternative when all other paths have been exhausted, rather, rejection is essential to the fulfillment of the mission. In our 21st century adoration of the person of Jesus, we often forget the company he kept or the places he visited. Modern Protestantism tends to present Jesus's life and ministry as accessible and appealing, or even more troubling, the most desirable role model if you're looking for a better life. But scriptural accounts offer evidence to the contrary. Jesus grew up Jesus grew up within the confines of established religion. His credibility came from his ability to recite scripture and draw on the knowledge of their shared history. But he quickly rejects that which he experiences. He leaves the temples and synagogues and takes to the road. He eats with those who are otherwise not invited, spend times with those who are otherwise invisible, and violates any boundaries that would keep him protected from those who are unclean. The companions he chooses, the ones who end up building the church, are unknown and unreliable, save for whatever potential he saw in them. All in all, it seems a mission that is doomed to fail before it's begun. But be careful. Don't class over what's going on here. This is not simply a better version of religion that Jesus creates. It's a wholesale upheaval of the ways in which humanity has conceived of relating to the divine. Rejection is the foundation upon which God's redemption is active in the world. Israel was the rejected nation who experiences restoration. Jesus was rejected by the religion and the people with whom he was raised. Peter, who plays a key role in Jesus's rejection, became the cornerstone of the church. None of these stories work without rejection. It's not a coincidence, and it's not simply a piece of the greater story. Rejection is at the heart of the story. Here's the thing. This passage in today's reading from the book of Acts about the rejected stone becoming the cornerstone is easy to gloss over. Most frequently, we hear it and think it logical that Jesus became the cornerstone because he was Jesus. He is perfect in a way that none of us could ever be. So it makes sense. But that interpretation only gives part of the story. Perhaps a bit of context on this exchange between Peter and the high priestly family will help. Prior to this scene in the book of Acts, Peter and John healed a man who was crippled from birth. Much like the healings performed by Jesus, Peter says to the man, stand up and walk. The man was well known to all who entered the temple on a daily basis as he had been afflicted from birth. They were in awe of his sudden ability to walk and came to believe as Peter and John proclaimed Jesus' name. This is what set off the authorities. They assumed the problem would go away once Jesus was gone. But Peter, John, and the others took up Jesus's message, healing, teaching, and preaching in his name. Peter's role in this particular exchange and in the growth of the church is essential. If you'll recall, Peter denied Jesus 3 times before he was handed over to be crucified. Jesus was painfully aware of Peter's actions, and yet he received him in peace in the post-resurrection encounters. As Peter is preaching and healing, he is doing so very much aware of his own rejection and restoration. Peter's story is integral to Jesus's story, which becomes the story. Rejection is not just a part of what can happen, but at the heart of how God redeems what will happen. In returning to these words, Jesus spoke from Hebrew scriptures. It is too often the case that we simply find comfort and affirmation in the fact that Jesus was the one meant to save us. Of course, he's the very cornerstone. But the mission and identity of the church are bound up in this reality about rejection. The church was intended to be the stone that the builders rejected. The mission and ministry Jesus gave to the disciples was all about redeeming that which was lost and rejected. The mission was always to go to the ends of the earth, never to stay comfortably fixed in one place, rejoicing over those who had already found their way. But over time, the church has strayed from this core piece of its identity. Or to return to the metaphor, we've abandoned our place as the cornerstone, and we have become the builders. We've become the expert rejectors of that which doesn't align, conform, or neatly fit in. One of the most recent ways in which the church universal, and the Episcopal church in particular, has attempted to make amends for this misstep, is to focus on inclusion. We fly flags, put up signs, write statements, and tout our willingness to include those who have felt excluded for one reason or another. It's all thoughtful and well-intentioned, but I think we've missed the point. Truthfully, the language of inclusion is only a partial acknowledgement of that which Jesus calls us to. Belonging transcends inclusion and exclusion. Belonging doesn't simply allow for, but requires participation and ownership. At the heart of who the church was intended to be was a home for those who have been rejected and experienced the redemption of Christ. Rather than simply welcoming those individuals who have experienced rejection It is to them that we ought to look for leadership. This past week, I got to participate in one of the St. Michael's Sacred Ground dialogue circles. This group is one of three who have thoughtfully engaged in a curriculum and dialogue about the racial history of our country and church over the course of the last four months. Gathering in the same week as the much anticipated trial verdict in the Chauvin case, There was much to unpack. We gave voice to our relief, exhaustion, and hopefulness about the possibility that justice with racial matters in this country might actually be possible. And then came the questions. This was one trial, one unarmed Black man, one case among countless others. We gave voice to the fact that the task of reforming the system and our societal understanding of equity feels overwhelming. I was reminded of Peter's actions and Jesus' words about rejection. What might it look like for us to build something new out of the ruins? How might we actively participate in building a different reality for our children in which bodies are not valued or devalued, based on the color of their skin. I wonder if that is a part of how God is calling the church to repent in this particular moment. I was texting with Pastor Nelson from Lomax earlier this week as well as the event that brought us together reached some semblance of closure with the trial verdict. It was a milestone that I wanted to acknowledge and a mixture of grief and gratitude that needed voicing. He shared with me a quote from the book he happened to be reading that night that I can only describe as inspired by the Holy Spirit. In his book, The Mystic as Prophet, theologian Howard Thurman writes, combating racism is one of the most challenging creative edges for the mission of Christianity. Combating racism is one of the most challenging creative edges for the mission of Christianity. There it was again, a call to move from the comfortable center to the edge. The church never should have taken on the role of the builder that practices rejection. If we are willing, there's so much hope and redemption that we have to share and that the world needs to hear. But it cannot be confined within the walls of our established communities. Church was never meant to be a safe place for those of us who have healed from our wounds of rejection to hide. Jesus's mission for the church was always meant to be fulfilled out there, on the edge, beyond the horizon of our vision. Amen.